Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. I'm Ian Stasikevich, a contributing writer for American Cinematographer magazine. In this episode, cinematographer Elliot Davis and I talk about his work on Keanu Reeves' directorial debut, Man of Tai Chi. There are many remarkable things about Man of Tai Chi, but for now, we'll focus on two of them. The first being that, for all intents and purposes, it is that rare authentic kung fu film directed by a Western filmmaker. The second being that Davis and Reeves chose to shoot it with Ares' Alexa Studio 4.3 digital cinema camera. And now, on with the interview. Elliot, in one of our previous conversations, you mentioned that Man of Tai Chi is both an art film and a commercial film. Where do you feel it lies along the spectrum of art and commercial filmmaking? I would say Man of Tai Chi is a metaphor for the present state of China, uh, where uh, rampant capitalism goes up against traditional values. And that's how the movie kind of breaks down that Tiger Chen, the main character, represents the traditional values as, as symbolized by Tai Chi, the traditional martial art form, which is kind of the mother of all martial arts, even though most Americans are only familiar with it as a recreational, therapeutic, meditative martial art. It really is a serious martial art, <laughs> a fighting art. And he represents the last fighter in his temple who's trained in a particular type of Tai Chi. And his temple and hence his culture, his whole culture and value system is at risk in the film by uh, rampant development in China. The temple comes under threat by developers to be turned into some kind of commercial venture. He's essentially uh, a typical low-wage worker in China working for a delivery service. He needs to, you know, rebuild the temple. He needs, he also has to support his parents. And he just is in way over his head for what his responsibilities are. So when he's offered a chance to make money, he rejects it at first on principle, but then he takes it. So. That's kind of the framework for the movie. And then, of course, in the end, he has to redeem himself for what he's done. But the film, in it, the way it approaches that, it approaches that in an iconic manner. I think Keanu wanted to make, first of all, a martial arts movie. He would always turn to me and say, Elliot, we're making a, a kung fu movie. And I go, yeah, we are. <laughs> and uh, that was the number one thing. He wanted to make a good kung fu movie. So fighting became the paramount thing that we had to get good. And he had the great fight choreographer, Wu Ping, who did Matrix with him. And half the film was fighting of the 106 days or whatever it was that we shot. I think 50-something was fighting. And this was done in what I want to say an artful way. The whole film is, in the sense, not a commercial movie in the sense that besides being a kung fu movie, which is not inherent to American cinema genre. It, it was done in an artful way that every frame, every staging, every lighting, every composition was done at an artistic level consistent with Keanu's vision. And 
Keanu was very, very thought out. He, he had notebooks for every aspect of the filmmaking process, everything from acting, production design, camera. Every actor had their own book. He was also part writer. He was part producer. So for him, it was a total package, and it was a lot to keep under control. I think Keanu, he worked five years on this project. It was more a project of necessity that he had to get out, and I don't think commercial uh, ramifications were his main thing, though he was conscious of it, being a commercial actor. But Keanu is one of those actors who also straddles commercial and non-commercial. He, he does a lot of small independent things. He supports artists in his personal life. So art is very close to his heart. And I think no matter how hard Keanu would try not to make it a, a uh, art film, it would always be in some aspects an art film. There's a lot of that push-pull in the film. Tiger Chan's master doesn't want him to fight, but Tiger feels that he has to fight in order to change people's perceptions about Tai Chi. And towards the end of the film, the master declares that the traditional and the modern can coexist in harmony. Could the same be said about your approach to making the film? Yeah, I think that's a really good observation. I mean, I look at this kind of like a Chuck Close painting. <laughs> Even the smallest little frame in the, in the painting is um, part of the bigger frame. It's, it's a building block for the bigger frame. And that's what I meant by that every decision was based on what you just said. The yin and the yang, the positive and the negative, the change of positive to negative, the change of negative to positive, the flowing back and forth to find a homeostasis which is never static. So the film has a certain fluidity of, of going back and forth between yin and yang, the black and the white, the good and the evil. And it doesn't really, I think, plan, it, make a statement about what is good and what is evil. It's just, it's more like just what is. This is the nature of things, that they all need to coexist, you know, and if they're not able to coexist, one of them is going to be eliminated <laughs> uh, just due to evolution. And I think that um, uh, Keanu was very, very conscious of uh, this in the planning of the movie. Um, the fighting itself was never looked at as action, just action. We never referred to it just as a fight. It was always a question of what is Tiger learning in this fight? The fight was used to promote character development because what he learned in this f in each fight he employed in the next fight and then what he learned in that fight he employed in the following fight. So he was in continually, uh, a continual path of evolution as a character through his fighting. Now this is not a normal thing in kung fu movies or American movies. Um, that fighting is actually part of the dramatic uh, contradictions that push the action and the character forward. So that in itself is a, is a really big deal. How did the story's dramatic evolution impact the film's cinematography? Well, in terms of the fighting, the first scenes were more quiet and they were also, Tiger was also at more of a disadvantage. In his very first fight in the movie, he's involved in a competition in China, a national competition that, uh, that employs his art form of Tai Chi against other fighting forms. And that is where his success is first seen because the other fighters are totally surprised by this particular form of Tai Chi. Now this Tai Chi then is his success 
and form of Tai Chi is noticed by the Keanu character, Donica. And this is what brings them into the dark world, <laughs> the dark side, because Keanu's character wants to expose his innocence and destroy it. And uh, ultimately, he is supposed to fight to the point where he kills his opponent. Now, this is so far from the tenets of Tai Chi that, of course, Tiger can't do that. But he, he does travel down that path, and it's the process of traveling down that path that enlightens him as a, as a character. What was the filmic expression of this journey from light to darkness? Well, we were a big believer in form follows function, um, like which I believe is the te uh, tenets of all good design. And so um, in the first fights that are in the stadium of the national competition, for the national competition, the fights are linear. A lot of the fighting is done uh, parallel to the fighters, where they move back and forth, left to right in the frame. And then we go in only for a particular moment. When Tiger starts to fight on the dark side, the fighting becomes much more, uh, I want to say, fluid in the sense that we employ the steady cam a lot, which is not a typical Chinese instrument for shooting martial arts. So what, what we did was, on the, on the Tai Chi side, we tried to use a steady cam to, to uh, maximize the feeling of fluidity because Tiger was using the energy of his opponent to be used against the opponent, and, and we created a lot of circular motions. We made video uh, storyboards of the fighting, and we broke the fighting down, and I want to say made very articulate shots that demonstrated uh, different stages of the fighting as Tiger evolved. And of course, as he, I believe he went through four or five opponents in his uh, his tryouts with uh, Donica till he got to the point where he became his person. Uh, each of those is elevated in terms of its, uh, its form. So um, the fights become also shorter and more uh, direct and uh, more powerful as Tiger you know, absorbs the energy of his opponents. I'd like to go a little bit more into detail about the fight choreography and camera blocking, which really comes together on the screen the editing in these scenes is remarkably fluid and seamless. Well, Keanu originally wanted to shoot fighting with the, with the bot arm, the robot arm that, that, um, that used to construct cars, which was later used on gravity. It's a 17-axis kind of camera head, uh, programmable, and you could actually make a, you can go online and see those tests. It was a scene, you could make the fight seamless, like it's one shot. But that didn't work out for us because it cost a million dollars to get it to China with the inventor of it and his people. And so that didn't work. But what we did was we filmed with two cameras all the time, pretty much, except when it, when it was purely a steady cam shot. And we always filmed on each side of the axis. We weren't interested in shooting at wide and at tight necessarily on the same side of the axis, though we did do that sometimes. What we tried to do was shoot on each side of the axis, so you could cross-cut from one side of the axis to the other, which gives that feeling you're talking about of a, where the camera can go in places seamlessly. In other words, where one frame leaves off, the other frame is, is captured on the other side of the axis, so you can cut back and forth, and you feel like you're in all angles of the fight at the same time. Now, of course, the lighting had to accommodate that, and that was a big thing. Did you and Keanu watch a lot of kung fu films for inspiration. 
we studied them all. <laughs> I had an iPad full of fight sequences that um, Keanu had his assistant pull. I probably had 80 fights, 80 fight sequences at least. And that, did, that just was to start. We looked at all those. We then went to the actual films. Keanu is a, film, a student of film. He had many film references in his mind that he was just aching to get out. And so all the time, films themselves are being uh, presented or like as an analogy, like uh, he'd say, I want to do this or that. And he'd say, you like this or that film? Yeah, like they did in this or that. And so, I don't know, it seemed like we were in the Library of Congress in our minds, you know, in terms of all the possibilities of what films had been shot that demonstrated certain principles. What were some of the principles that you wanted to adhere to? There were certain things Keanu was very aware of, you know, like he wasn't into the cutting on specific cuts like of a hit or, or something like that, a punch. He wasn't into staccato like that. He wanted to be fluid in a Western style. And I think one of his main goals was to bring a Western aesthetic to the Chinese martial art form. And I think we were really successful at that. We didn't dwell on particular cuts unless it was absolutely necessary to tell the story. But at the same time, we made sure that the, the fights were fought, shot in a clear enough way that the audience didn't feel like they were just watching blurs of motion, that they could actually see the fight itself. Which I think if you read on the internet, a lot of people are happy about that. That's one thing they point out, that it's just not a, a bunch of shaky camera um, you know, trying to mask the quality of the fighting. In what other ways do you feel you applied uh, a Western perspective? I think it's the mostly in the flow. I mean, our production design and the actual shooting itself all contributed, but it, it has to do more with the staging of the fight in relation to the camera. That's where the break is with, you know, Eastern and Western approach to fighting. Well, in the, in the, you have to remember what audience you're making it for. You're making it for a martial arts audience. So they expect a certain amount of fighting or they're not going to be satisfied. It'd be like in comedy in the United States. You have to have a laugh every so many minutes. It's, I don't think it's that much difference. You know, there has to be a certain volume of fighting. And that fighting has to be a certain intensity to be qualified as good martial arts experience. I think one of the most striking things about the film is the way that it's lit, which is in this very graphic high-key style and also uh, in a more subtle naturalistic style. Well, there's a certain, first of all, there has to be a certain vision that's carried out. And for myself, I, I desaturate the film right away because I, I, um, the colors for me came from China. I tried to look around and observe what are the colors of China. And it's so interesting to me because China is such an earthy place, you know. It's a, basically, it's traditionally a peasant culture. The earth is so important, you know, and um, the color of the earth and the color of the buildings. And then if you throw in the Chinese skin tone, which has that yellow earthy kind of look, to me, I kind of went for the skin tone first. I made sure that all our characters had a heightened, if you might call it a heightened, desaturated skin tone. And that to me was a unifying factor in the movie. 
And then, then I brought up certain colors that were particularly Chinese, as when we hit red or, or blue or yellow, and made those pop. And I kept my, my blacks crushed. And then I brought my whites up to give it uh, strength, to give it uh, contrast and, I want to say, energy pop to it. And you know, it was all very interesting because Keanu and I went back and forth on that because his concept of healthy looking was you know, to have pink flesh tones in the skin. But when I looked around China, I said, Keanu, look, this is not China. This is not the way Chinese look. They don't look like Westerners where you get blood flushed to the skin and all that kind of stuff. And in the end, you know, he went along with it. And, and from there, I worked out from there. The production designer was the same production designer on Kill Bill. And he listened very well to um, Keanu about what Keanu what the essence of what he wanted, even if Keanu couldn't articulate it. Um, Yohei Tanada was the designer, and he made these beautiful drawings to show to Keanu, and then Keanu brought me in a lot of times to look at them together, and we look at them in terms of the graphics and shootability, that, that the implications of his design, and he was very open to that because a lot of times what happens if the cinematographer doesn't see the production design soon enough uh, they, the designers go ahead and build, and a lot of things become impediments. Nothing became an impediment to us uh, because everybody was working on the same page. You said you wanted to desaturate the colors in the film. Was this done in the grade? I desaturated in our workflow, which was part of the grade, because you know the workflow is another whole question on this because we were the first people in the world to shoot full chip, anamorphic on an Alexa with anamorphic lenses. So we used all the information on the chip. And this is the first time in the world that had been done. We had uh, two of the first uh, Alexa studio cameras that ARRI made. And uh, ARRI made sure that we got those to make this project happen. So in our workflow, uh, we graded and had a DaVinci Mobile on set. And through that DaVinci Mobile, I had full control of secondaries and primaries and was also able to window and do grads and things like that. So I was able to control even specific faces within a shot, you know, and, and track those faces, keeping other backgrounds a different, uh, in a, uh, allowing backgrounds to be treated in a different manner. So I really had full control over the image. And all that was put on iPads and... Uh, fed into the Avid for cutting so that Keanu would see everything pretty much the way it would look as we headed toward the DI. So this was a, a big workflow advancement uh, at that time and probably still is. You know, most productions just have DIT stations, which are basically just one lights. So, you know, for us it was a big deal. We were, it had to do with where we were in China and uh, that we didn't want to let information out and it allowed us to be self-contained. Did knowing you were going to desaturate the image in post affect the way you captured it? Well, it, it's actually a combination between lighting and production design. I think in Keanu's head, it was always a struggle for him to uh, define the, the bandwidth of the color. That's how he referred to it. Because um, if you, you know, take the colors of Hong Kong, the colors of Beijing, you, you get quite a bandwidth if you just let it go in so-called Kodak Technicolor. <laughs> so desaturation is one way to, uh, to rein in all the errant colors. 
And this, I think, we were very successful at. Now, we, we honed this in the DI as we go through passes. We, we narrow down the colors. Uh, like, for instance, sodium vapor color orange really bothered Keanu a lot of times as being out of the band with if it was too saturated. Some of the earlier scenes I seem to recall being very saturated, like expressively so. That was actually very desaturated, but what, you, what appears to make it look saturated is the crushing of the blacks and the promoting of certain colors. Now, the fight at Donica's office, when the MMA fighter comes, he's wearing red, so I punched up the red, though not like primary, but within our bandwidth, I, I pushed it to its envelope. When another fighter comes in, or when uh, the next fight, um, Tiger's wearing blue. I push the blue, but the room itself is basically this desaturated gray. So you feel like there's a lot of color in there because things are in opposition to each other. The, the chroma of the blue against the desaturation of the gray. The chroma of the red against the desaturation of the gray. Was there a conscious effort to make a visual distinction between the modern and the traditional, uh, like nature and technology, the village versus the city? Uh, well, that distinction had to fit into the bigger distinction of Donica's world, Keanu's character's world. That world was in opposition to Tiger's world in the bigger picture, and then everything else had gradations. So Donica's world was the tech world, the world of uh, high tech uh, and the world of, I want to say, uh, technological conformity. Um, that was given a cool desaturation, and that world segued into Hong Kong, because Hong Kong to me, represent and China represents a more technologically advanced realm than the mainland. And uh, although the mainland is definitely trying to catch up, but Hong Kong had all the lighting. It's it's a very lit up city. It's like Tokyo in that sense. Um, a lot of consumerism. There's a whole level of of on the surface capitalism which, you know, shouts out at you. And I tried to use that to some, to some extent as, as opposition to shooting in the mainland. How important is it that people who see this film understand the cultural differences between mainland China and Hong Kong? I mean, one thing about the film, it, it has so many levels that it works on that an American audience is not necessarily conscious of. For instance, in China, the Hong Kong people and the mainland people look down on each other. They don't look at each other as equal. Uh, the Hong Kong people consider China as inferior, dirtier, uh, not as developed, uh, not as sophisticated. And the mainland people look at Hong Kong as a runaway province, uh, you know, politically inferior and, and um, uh, infused with capitalism and uh, therefore corrupt and uh, perverted. And so you get... Um, a lot of antagonism between Hong Kong and the mainland uh, on a lot of different levels, from the highest political levels to the people level. But on the, the most bottom line is everybody's the same, of course. <laughs> so it's, um, it's a total fascinating thing. Now, as I learned more and more, the, my, the filmmaking becomes infused with that. And of course, Keanu is even more sensitive to it than me because he's been going back and forth to China for the last five, seven years trying to to study and launch this project. So whatever I learned uh, permeated my, my visual view 
and interpretations of, in the film. I, 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 I definitely saturated the colors more in Hong Kong, and I played with different colors. I introduced cyans uh, in opposition to mercury vapors. Uh, mercury vapor is the color of choice for Chinese streets. I put, used a lot of cyan to, to contradict that, um, to create more tension, especially since the Hong Kong police were involved. And when I say that, I mean that when they showed up in places in sodium vapor territory, I would always introduce cyan fluorescence and, and um, mix the colors a lot. There's a lot of color mixing in Hong Kong that did not occur in Beijing, for instance. So you get a much more varied palette in Hong Kong. Let's go back to the Alexis Studio 4.3, which I find to be an interesting choice given it's both modern and traditional design. What else is significant about this choice of camera? Yeah, well, I did extensive tests uh, between film and digital, I and I tested the Panaflex uh, with C lenses. I tested the Alexa, and I didn't even have full chip. I only had, at that time, I had only uh, 16 by 9 capability. And this was, uh, you know, uh, uh, two and a half, three months before we started shooting. The Alexa full chip had not come out yet. It was just on the horizon. And I tested the Epic uh, with anamorphic lenses. I shot them all in the same circumstances, same lighting. Uh, took them through to the DI um, to see the end result. And when I looked at the Alexa and the film, I could not tell the difference personally between the two. If I had done, if you, if I had done a blind test and mixed them up, I would have lo totally lost track of which one was which. Uh, though Keanu swears he could, He's, he was looking at the very edges. Now he just come off side by side, and Keanu is super analytical, and he says he saw things that, but I didn't see him. But. But that doesn't mean they weren't there. He just may have been more sensitive than I am. I can't, I won't say that I'm the most sensitive person that ever lived. <laughs> so, you know, he, he in his mind saw them. But I figured if I didn't see it, I, don't, I can't imagine how any other people would. So I felt totally comfortable going with the Alexa. And also, Keanu was beginning to feel comfortable using digital because he was still up in the air from side by side. And he did. I think in the end go digital and feel good about it, at least on this particular project. I don't want to feel. I don't want to speak for Keanu that there may be another project he does where he feels film would be more apropos. Mm -hmm. For instance, when I shot Iron Lady with Meryl Streep, I felt film was more apropos than digital at that time. Um, now, all all that said, um, the Alexa also had come out with the optical viewfinder, which I was very interested in doing in terms of not looking through a digital viewfinder because one is not capable of judging lighting looking through that. And then the other thing it had was the rotating mirror. And we were interested in the rotating mirror because it eliminated shutter blur that you get with action on a, on a digital camera. So, you know, these were big advances that Aeroflex had. And because we're using all the information on the chip, you know, we used all the squeezed information and unsqueezed it into the anamorphic format. So, you know, for the first time ever, anybody, somebody was able to look at all the information that was on the Alexa chip in a frame. And it was astonishing. It was so beautiful. Now, we combined that with Hawk lenses, uh, two times Hawk lenses, and Keanu and myself were both very pleased with the result. As far as cinematography is concerned, 
Do you feel that a harmonious coexistence between the modern and the traditional is the way forward? <laughs> you know, this is, this is a conversation that is endless with camera people. For instance, I was just a camera image, and when a film came up and a filmmaker said they shot, or a cinematographer came up and said they shot in film, people clapped. I don't have a romantic attachment to film. Uh, now, maybe I'm unusual as a cinematographer of my level in this situation, but I've, uh, I was trained as an architect uh, before I went into movies, so I have another kind of background, and I've always been of the ilk of embracing what I believe future tendencies. I, I like to embrace them when they arise, so I, I'm, I don't like to like uh, hang on to the past. Now, I'm not necessarily calling film the past yet. Uh, I feel film does have applications, and it's, I'm not to say for myself that I may not shoot some film projects in the future. But my frame of reference now is not film. When I'm looking at images and stuff, I don't look at images because they're film or hang on to film, I look at digital images as my new reference, like what was, what's being done digitally. So in that regard, I'm definitely in the digital camp. The way I look at it is my 15-year-old children, they're not growing up with film. They're growing up with digital images. And pretty soon in the future, there's going to be groups of <laughs> whole populations that have never seen film. Uh, that, those will only be old movies from the early 21st and 20th century. So for me, it's not, it's not that kind of question. I think each aesthetic has to be taken into historical epoch. The uh, historical epoch that we're entering, <laughs> just nascently right now, is digital. And that should be embraced by cinematographers, even if they use film for other applications. Uh, I'm not saying that looks of things uh, inherent to certain mediums should be eliminated just because we've moved on to other mediums. I still look at paintings as reference. I still look at drawings as reference. I, I look at all kinds of visual imagery as reference. But I know that predominantly I'm going to be rendering my new images digitally. Now, so it, it, that just means that uh, the internal pre-visualization of those images is going to be shaped a different way. So, and you have to remember too that our brains, this is something that people don't talk about much and maybe in, the, maybe in circles that I'm not involved in, but in analog world, the part of the brain that pre-visualized was an important part of the artist. So, you know, even if you went back to the cave paintings, to the Middle Ages, to Tintorento, to Michelangelo, <laughs> to anybody, Caravaggio, Picasso, David Hockney, well, Ansel Adams, of course, who developed a whole system for that. They all had to use the part of the brain where they imagined the whole image already done, and they tried to uh, create that image. In the digital world, it's closer to painting by numbers than pre-visualization. In other words, I'm concerned that new cinematographers coming up do not practice using the part of the brain with pre-visualization and that it becomes more like painting by numbers. They have a monitor and they go, oh yeah, we need to put some light there, take some light away there, which to me is a loss. That part is a loss because the very process of pre-visualization is becoming involved with the image and its content. Is there a way to compensate for that? I'm not sure because I haven't seen it so far because I'm using the analog part of my brain that 
that I've used my whole life as an artist. Because I look at myself as an artist first and a cinematographer second. You know, in a certain way, I would say that I would want to promote people from art school more becoming cinematographers than people from cinematography schools. Because I feel like they're getting a better visual education in terms of what constitutes the creation of visual images. I think that um, cinematography education needs to be retooled. You're saying it's not about new technology in terms of education, it's about finding a new approach to the craft. Yeah, and it's about what you bring to cinematography. What I'm afraid of is in undergraduate cinematography programs and things like this, that there's no previous experience of any type to bring to cinematography. That a cinematographer just becomes a cog in the uh, technical structure to capture something instead of to really be an original creator. And I think uh, if you measure the cinematographer up against post people now in terms of image creation, the post people are getting a leg up on the cinematographers because they are creating the final images in the, in the uh, film for a large part of movies, or the bigger event movies anyway. The smaller movies that have less visual effects, that's not true yet. But I can see the merging of platforms um, you know, between gaming and uh, movies and television to a platform that is more artificially created and the cinematographers are not going to have those tools. They could become extinct as far as I'm concerned because the post people will be creating the environments, they'll shape the lighting, they'll uh, have th uh, 3D, 4D uh, motion capture, you know, for very lifelike uh, actor simulation. So I see the cinematographer, unless they're educated properly, they're, they're going to be educationally eliminated <laughs> in this process, and it's a, it's a danger. People should be looking more into the future to see how this is all going to work. That was cinematographer Elliot Davis talking about his work on the film Man of Tai Chi. This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.